On this episode of Building Blocks, we connect with Bernie Lee. Bernie is a general partner at Ailer Canada. He's also the former co-founder of Pure Energies, which was acquired by Energy Energy. He is also the former advisor of Mars, and it becomes from an investment background. We speak today about his experience not only being an investor, but also being a founder himself of growing a business and taking it to acquisition. We also speak about Antler. A few of my previous guests were a part of the Antler program, and Antler has helped over 600 startups go from zero to greatness. Hope you guys enjoy this episode, learn a bit more about Antler, Bernie, and how you too can take a business from ideation to acquisition. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Hey everyone, um, my name is Bernie Lee. Um, you know, by profession, I've actually had two main chapters in my career. Half of that was in the venture capital industry. So very early on, after graduating university and spending a, a quick amount of time in the private equity and management consulting industry, I got into venture. Um, this is when I lived down in New York. Was there from into the industry in two thousand and one. So kind of a different era. Um, but through the 2000s, moved from New York to Montreal, where I had the opportunity to work with one of Canada's leading uh, VC firms. Um, that's kind of chapter one. Chapter two began when I just had this moment, this kind of like inner moment when I thought that I needed to go down the co-founder or founder experience myself. So returned to Toronto, co-founded a company called Pure Energies, and we were in the business of helping homeowners find great solar solutions for the rooftop. Uh, built that to become the leading provider in the province of Ontario. We also had a digital marketplace that served uh, homeowners across 13 states in the U.S. And through that, uh, lived the experience of, of raising venture financing that helped get us through a hyper growth curve and exiting that to a uh, public company in a strategic acquisition. That was to a company called NRG. Um, and so since then, had spent a lot of my time and, and fortunately was, you know, in the position where I could do a little bit of angel investment and be supportive of friends and entrepreneurs um, and, and help out Canada's in, innovation ecosystem to the extent that I could. But, you know, through that, you know, the one thing that I had observed during the course of my time being both on the venture and on the, on the founder side was, you know, back in the mid 2000s, um, venture and, and startup tech you know, companies in Canada were in a very different place. And I would say that it was a little bit kind of provincial or even nationwide was quite inwards focused. And that component didn't really, um, you know, the, the Canada to U.S. Um, equation wasn't really solved well. And I think over that time, we've seen that happen. But it got me to think about, like, this world is a really big place. And the part that I get excited about is how does Canada now stand up to the rest of the world? How do we solve the Canada to rest of world equation? And so when I learned about Antler, that's where I got really excited. And so I'll shift over to that, you know, kind of where I am currently now. So I'm a general partner with Antler Canada and Antler is, has a mission to service um, exceptional people around the world that are looking to found the next generation of highly ambitious companies, VC scale companies. Um, in some ways, the people that are really literally starting to build the future now. Um, and the way we do so is by providing support to these people in various facets, but literally helping bring many of these people that are doing it at the same time together um, to run down a path, to meet co-founders, to get guidance, and to be plugged into a network of other people that are doing this all over the world. And that's what I get excited by. Ultimately, at the end of the day, 
We are venture investors, and so we have the ability uh, and can write the first checks into the companies that are being created by these exceptional people. And one thing that always comes up is, as you said, spent some time in the States and, you know, obviously coming from Canada as well, is that there was always that big divide of like, Amer like you said, like America versus Canada or kind of what's the difference. And obviously the landscape has shifted. But what do you think has been that big shift? Because from even when I worked with many ventures back in the early 2010s, it was you in Waterloo, the Silicon Valley of the North, they called it back yeah. then. You'd fly to California to raise funding. You fly to California. But now I've seen a lot more more Canada focus kind of being, Hey, we're raising Canada, growing our business in Canada and not hopping on the plane right away. What do you think was that initial shift or has caused that shift to a little, be a little bit more can not, I don't say Canada focus, but give you some scale in Canada. Well, maybe that wasn't there 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty, it's a, you know, multifaceted um, mm -hmm. answer that I think, you know, that, that might answer or provide some drivers for some of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, so, you know, one of them is, I think it's it's the evolution of, of the Canadian innovation system in a couple of areas, both on the founders and the founder success and strength of founders, number one, um, but also the professionalization and, you know, evolution of the fund managers, the people that provide the capital and support. And that has created an environment that I think is continued to be marching down the path of, um, setting the conditions for success and success in a big way, meaning meaning much more meaningful companies. Uh, you know, if we hearken back to, you know, 20 some odd years ago, you know, we had probably uh, less than uh, half a dozen major companies, of course, you know, Blackberry and Nortel kind of come to mind uh, off the top and, you know, kind of fast forward now in our last report, you know, there's been you know, over 20 unicorns or so um, that have, been created in Canada, of which I believe like 15 or so have been under the last five years. Uh, there is a report that Antler um, had created on unicorns that have been developed in Canada. So anyone that's interested, you can go check that out. Mm -hmm. But so that's one thing. It's, it's the evolution of the people of the entire ecosystem. And when I say by people, you know, ultimately what we think is that there are participants Yes, the founders, but also the other people that were the VPs, the directors, the engineering managers that helped develop some of these fast growing companies that then spill out. But instead of saying, hey, you know, I'm just going to go buy a cottage and go retire and live the, you know, the good kind of northern life. Um, they're coming back in and actually building a second or third company. And so there's, I think, mm -hmm. the mindset change that's been happening, at least what I've been observing. That also includes more people that have gone down and spent time in the Bay Area, that have spent time down in New York, um, have seen and been part of hyper growth experiences down there, but then have returned back to Canada um, for various reasons. And so I think we're benefiting from that as well. Um, look, I think that, you know, more kind of tangibly, we also have just tax um, tax rules and laws that have changed over the time, which has helped make it easier for U.S. investors to look at Canadian companies. Um, and, you know, tax is one of these interesting things that can create so much different behavior. But that, I think, has been a, a overall a net benefit to um, the Canadian early stage ecosystem because, you know, as a founder, um, it just provides more opportunities for access to capital that are required for, you know, the right types of businesses that, that may need it. Yeah. And then it's interesting you touched on BlackBerry. I mean, that was always the go-to, especially when I went to Laurier. It was like BlackBerry was the example. Um, but the spill out from it, you had all these highly paid, highly skilled technical engineers, you know, 
BlackBerry shrinks a little bit. Now they say, hey, instead of joining another tech company, why don't I start my own company? And then, like you said, it takes a few years for the seeds to sow. So then you have those people found the business, have successful exits, then get that capital back into the market. So it's like you said, it's not an overnight thing. There's many little factors that have to, you know, develop the soil, kind of grow, grow the, sow the seeds to grow a successful ecosystem. I think now we're kind of seeing that, like you said, now that there's been more effort put into it, we're seeing some of those results now with more and more uh, organizations growing and becoming the uni unicorns in Canada. One, and you've kind of seen both sides. You've been on the little more the VC and the investing side and also on, you know, creating your own business side of things. Was there anything, because obviously you started more on the investment side first was there anything that would surprise you when you went to create your own organization that you maybe thought was easier than you thought you know you'd ask ventures hey well, i want to see x y and z numbers and now you're doing it yourself you're like oh it's a little bit more challenging was there any shocks i mean there's always a few but was there something that really stood out where you're like oh goodness this is way different than i expected kind of from the outside looking in oh it's totally totally it was way different um yeah, I mean, you know, as mentioned, I, I was in venture for about nine years uh, before, you know, becoming a co-founder and having spent and literally, you know, your day in and day out job is meeting with founders and talking to them about their ideas, their strategies. So, you know, I developed this kind of like this thought, this notion that, okay, well, you know, I think I have a sense of what I'm getting into. I think I've heard enough stories and, and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that kind of went away after about day three. Um, you know, I think that the benefit that that provides coming from that particular lens is um, one does kind of pull, zooms out and does take a, you know, a more top down perspective on, hey, how are we fitting in the entire space? You know, what are the major trends that are impacting our industries? So it helps with creation of the narrative. It helps in thinking about different business models that might be applied and, and to kind of look maybe broadly about where we may be fitting within the evolution of an industry. So from those facets, it was helpful. Um, when it also came to, you know, fundraising itself and even going through the transactional process and structuring process, yes, I think that component was, was helpful. So kind of deal execution. Um, I say that because when we, and in the world that I live in right now, one of the components that we, you know, have learned about many founders that, you know, fundraising and the process of fundraising is, is this pretty obscure thing. Very few people do it in their lives. And perhaps even some of the most successful fundraisers, you know, may close three, four, five rounds. Okay, investment bankers may do a lot more, yeah. but it's really something that isn't, you know, doesn't become a core strength of anyone because it's quite step function in a way of, of when it mm -hmm. actually occurs. Um, but so it did help out on those sorts of things. Now, on the other side, though, um, <laughs> what I didn't realize, you know, when you start, you know, working on operating the business, just like, you know, it's the day to day kind of like firefighting. It is the trying to create momentum about something where there's nothing that exists before and how difficult that is and building all the relationships to rally around you to say like, hey, we're really trying to push a vision here. And to make this vision work, we need players, in our case, in the solar industry, right? We need to get the supply side, meaning the module people on side. We had to figure out, hey, on the installer side, how do we find to get that talent? On the regulatory side, what is the regulatory regime we're working under? And then, of course, the homeowner side. And then the secondary you know, players that we all had to work with to make our business model actually pull together. I mean, 
you know, I would love to say that, hey, we had thought that all through before we decided to embark on that, but that's certainly not the case. So there was a lot of learning on the go and a lot of problem solving that just happens, you know, on on the spot. It's really funny how you touched on that. Because I've, I've known many many founders who maybe had some success prior to becoming a founder, like corporate success came from the investment banking world or lawyers or you typically say like very high skilled, high paying jobs. And they come to the startup world. And I guess the biggest thing, like anyone going from a big organization to a small one is, oh, I have to do everything. Yeah. Like the little things that, hey, you know, if you're kind of the outside looking in, doesn't really matter because it's a fraction of x percent of something else but when you're you're running it everything matters you have to be the person to do this and then you start thinking oh goodness like you said all the relationships you need but if one fails it's kind of falls down the chain so I, it's always interesting hearing people's perspective and it's like kind of i don't have a child yet but it's always like the it's like you can't be prepared to be a parent until you're a parent no, no matter amount of books you read no amount you know how many Family members have kids. It's always different once you become one. I think it's the same thing where it's you can always you can read all the startup books in the world, but until you have a startup, you can't experience or understand kind of what's going on. It's always an outside looking in perspective. Now, you know, scaling a business and growing a business, and one thing you said, which is true, is when it comes to raising funding or at least going through that. Typically, as a founder, as a person, you're not going to go through that many times in your life, but. Like everyone, once you have one experience, you kind of base everything on that experience. The past few years has had a very unique, I'd say, shift in funding, um, where I talked to many people who said the easiest thing in the world is to get funding, especially in the early 2020s or 2021, where you just, they just give you money. It was the, a little bit of the narrative they had. Now it's a little bit more challenging. Even 10 years ago, it was a little bit more challenging. Have you found that the ecosystem being, especially funding, being so different over the past few years has either changed founders perspective on funding or the ease of getting funding because i feel if you talk to someone from 2021 they might say oh you call up a bank they give you a million dollars it's easy but now i think there's a little bit more of a change have you seen that shift in founder mentality or at least the conversations around that at all yeah i mean that is something that we tend to have conversations with the people that we work with that come through the antler program mm -hmm. um we just try to provide what we think is like the as of this moment um, mm -hmm. sense of, you know, what we're hearing from different investors, um, our companies that are in fundraising mm -hmm. process, some of the experiences that they're having. And yeah, by and large, it does seem like, you know, people are slowing things down. People are taking longer to make decisions. And, you know, we have visibly seen a, a shift in kind of that power dynamic from two years ago when it was the hot companies that had all of the power in a way and had investors chasing after them to the other side where, um, you know, you have many more companies that are now out trying to be in market and you have investors that are taking their time um, by and large. And so, you know, power has kind of shifted over on that side. I have heard from some colleagues that not all founders seem to have got that message. And so there is, you know, a, you know, a discourse that goes around on the valuations and the valuation expectations mm -hmm. that some people uh, may have on what they, you know, what they're currently valued at and in the new, new world, what that might mean um, for them. And if they were to take a hit on their valuation to try to raise more money or not. And, you know, it's just uh, that's you know, something that we've just seen and kind of having lived through a couple of cycles in this in this industry. And that's where the experience matters, knowing that regression to the mean is what I've been hearing a lot, that it's not it's not winter out there. It's just more normal than maybe what we've seen a few over the past few years. One, one thing we talked about the antler is that, you know, really focus on growing venture scale businesses. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess for a lot of people, like what's the difference between, I guess, a business and a venture scale business? Kind of what are you looking for that makes it maybe that investable level or kind of that lens that maybe is different than some other startups or other programs? Is there a is there something you're looking for within the founders or within the business that make it a better fit versus maybe some other ones that just don't fit the ideology behind it? Yeah, I mean, so if your question is, first of all, you know, layer one is like, what is a venture business versus a regular traditional business? Uh, you know, by and large, I think it's important for people to understand like what venture actually means and how it works mm-hmm. and what the strategy is uh, and what the returns expectations are. So, you know, in short, you probably heard it a million times, but um, particularly um, within the, our our investment strategy, which is much more akin to an angel investment strategy, it is many, many, many small placements, but playing with what's called the power law. So a small number of those companies will drive a disproportionate amount of the outcome potential that will pay off for the others that are um, you know trying to build, of which many of them, frankly, will likely go to you know a, a zero or kind of like flatline type of, of outcome. And so the, the, the insight to pull from that is that's the rationale why um, venture investors by and large are looking to invest in companies that have this very you know, perceived huge type of outcome potential. So that's kind of like, you know, the core. So how does one, and what does that actually mean? I think, you know, for us, it then comes down to, you know, at the core, the business model or the technology that's being implemented or being invented, uh, you know, is what is it from a scale perspective and or are you creating something that is like kind of a strategic asset? In our case at Antler now, coming to your second question, what I think was your second question, yeah. um, you know, how do we look at it, Antler? So again, Antler's mission is really about the founders and our thesis is about underwriting incredibly talented people who are about to go down the founder journey. And um, so what does that mean for us? That means that we are looking for people that we think are exceptionally bright and talented that have that level of commitment and mindset. You know, they're not just kind of playing around um, and seeing if this works. They they are really passionate about this and they're kind of going to make it. in spite of all the problems that they're going to face? Do they have that tenacity? There are other core features that we think we do see in successful founding teams. Um, usually in the communi- realm of communication, there's one person at least on the team that has an incredible ability to deliver in a clear way why what they're building really matters, why they are going to win, and this is going to be the best team to do it, and why now is the right time for them to be building this company. Uh, they're not ahead of the curve. They're not behind the curve. They're really starting to, to meet that in a way, which is not an easy feat to do. Yeah. So, yeah, from our perspective, um, and our program that we design is really about trying to go out and identify, you know, these, these people that have it in their head that say, hey, look, the next thing in life, what I want to do is to found a company. You can be in your early 20s. You could be in your late 40s. Um, you know, that, and I'm giving you real time kind of age mm-hmm. bounds of people that have come in and worked in, in our cohorts. Um, but it's that mindset of saying, like, this is what I want to do. I want to found a company. And the added value for what we do and the approach that we take is that we know that not all people have a co founder already. And finding, you know, that right person who has great talents. Um, 
but also is at that right stage of life. That part's so hard to solve for. We then bring them all together into an environment. We provide them space. We provide them a program um, where they will just get the chance to look left and look right and hopefully say like, wow, these are really incredible people. One of them might end up being a co-founder or two of them. If not, at the very least, I'm going to like boost my own personal network by 50 fold uh, or by 50 people. Sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, we think that that itself is, is a huge benefit for people that we work with at Antler. One thing we touched on was like that right stage of life or, you know, that, that being someone who's ready to take that, I guess, the jump or the transition or really saying this is my main focus. The common question, I, you know, you always hear is, can anyone be a founder? I can start off. How would you answer that question? Because that question is always, it's like a, a little bit of a leading question, but it's always a generic question that always has very unique answers. So how would you answer that question? Can anyone be a founder? <laughs> I think the flippant an answer- entrepreneur, I guess, is the word. The flippant answer is that, of course, anyone could be a founder. <laughs> I would turn it around to say like, okay, you know, to be in quotes, a successful founder of which if success is determined and measured by, hey, you delivered a 10X, 100X or something like that, yeah. you know, and so- um, you know, being a bit cheeky, but I think that that's kind of the way you're looking at it. Um, I think that at the end of the day, it is a really hard journey to go through. And I think that if you go and speak to people um, that have gone on and done it, you're going to hear some tremendous, you know, war stories. Everyone's going to have their own set of scars of things that they lived through to actually have the potential outcome that they had. And that's what makes this kind of like so great. And I think why there's yeah. kind of a fascination towards people that have, you know, taken uh, the leap of faith to do this, because I think I'm guessing if you looked at it mathematically, you would say like, you know, it doesn't make rational sense to take a strong level, you know, if you happen to have a life where you have a level of security or whatnot, um, and to kind of like abandon all that to jump into something mm -hmm. where there's like no very little certainty. Um, and what you're trying to do is create certainty along the way, um, as you move further and further along your founder journey. So, you know, the quick answer is, you know, can anyone do it? I'm not sure if, if all people are well suited for it. Um, I think that there are you know, certain patterns that we've seen in people um, that make them a little bit more certain of it um, or more fitting, you know, towards perhaps becoming a founder. That being said, you know, at Antler, we do try to take away our bias um, towards what we think a successful founder may look like, may sound like. Mm -hmm. Um, and to give more people a chance at that. Um, so when we, what we look for, a couple of things that we look for, not exhaustive though, um, are things, are traits that we may see in people, such as have they demonstrated a level of excellence in one area or another, right? You don't have to look a certain way to be able to do that. You know, it could have been in the world of athletics, could have been in the world of music, could have been in the world of hacking stuff together. You know, we do look for people that have also demonstrated a bias towards action that just have just tried things um, and not necessarily are those that kind of like go through and live, you know, inside a state of analysis paralysis, but, uh, you know, kind of live their life by, by doing and by experimenting, thus learning, understanding that there's going to be failures along the way. Um, you know, we also get very interested on speaking with people about like, what are some of the biggest challenges or frankly problems that they've come across and had to tackle in life. 
Um, I think that that, you know, kind of may set the tone for giving us a sense for, you know, how they might react when they get into this wacky world of actually founding a company where you're probably going to have, you know, five to 10 problems hitting you every single day. Some that are going to be like nothing kind of like day to day stuff. And some are going to be these death defying moments. Um, and, you know, how have they reacted in those sorts of things um, in those instances? So, you know, those types of situations don't require people to be, I believe, born of a certain stature, have gone to a certain type of school um, necessarily to have, um, you know, experienced, but they have had to go out and experience life. I think that's the key is you have to have some, you have to have experienced life, but also have, like you said, some people are better. I think the, that's the best answer. Some people are just better suited for it or in a state that is better. It's a, I think it's the same answer. Someone said, can anyone be a doctor? Well, technically, yes, but are you a person maybe who is interested in going to school for eight years, who's going to commit themselves to doing this? The answer is there's probably other things you might be better at or more suited for. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It just might be more of an uphill battle for certain people. Or just you say like those classes, you entrepreneur, like do you actually want that lifestyle? Right. And I think with TV, it's very being a founder is very glorified because you only ever hear really about the successful people. And typically, and you've probably seen this as well, most of the founders you hear about are in their 20s. You don't hear about the person who spent 20 years to a billion-dollar company because they're in their 40s and 50s now. Yet, most people I've spoken to who are extremely successful, it takes 20-plus years. It's lifetime of knowledge and skill and growth, typically, to get to that, you know, that nine-figure, that billion-dollar size just because it's takes time. You have to know something yeah. to grow something. Yeah. I do think, you know, on that, one of the people that we probably don't shine a spotlight on are the people that are also the teammates that help build those companies themselves. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, they're the ones that are really kind of making sure that things are moving ahead and swimmingly and solving all the problems that sometimes founders go forward and kind of, in some ways, drive things forward, but create a mess sometimes. Yeah. And, it, you know, those are the unspoken heroes <laughs> you know, that's another thing to perhaps think about in your later episodes in, in the future. One thing that's kind of interesting, because you talk a little bit about bias. And one thing you always hear about is, you know, people who, in, who didn't invest in, you know, who invest in the business and they failed and they always say, hey, you know, I should have known X, Y, and Z. Now, I feel a lot of times this could be the opposite. Some people might invest and you say sometimes whether you're an angel investor or just investing in general, you sometimes can just truthfully get lucky. You didn't do the right analysis, but there was success. How do you kind of look back and realize and kind of do self-analyze, say sometimes, you know, getting a big win for a lot of founder, for a lot of VCs or a lot of these investors can make their whole career. How do you look at it and not get too biased? That like, oh, I got one right. I am better than the average. I am the outlier. I can beat the market. How do you stay humble when, or how, how can people stay humble when there's, you want to kind of gloat a little bit if you made the right choice, you write into, you invest in the right founder. How do you kind of manage that? Because I feel that's always something challenging. It's easy to talk about how, why, what went wrong when you made a wrong decision, but when the decision was right, maybe for the wrong reasons, how do you realize that? That is a very great question. Um, and I don't know if, if I can answer that, you know, in a categorical way, um, I, I do think of, you know, what's it, Jeff Bezos that made kind of the whole statement is like day one mentality. It's always day one. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a level of humbleness and humility that comes from that, which is in some ways flipping it around. It's always the growth yeah. mindset. There's always an opportunity to learn. Um, I think my own personal bias is that what I've learned is that, you know, conditions are always changing. 
And so no matter even what worked in the past, right, you have to take into account what are the new, new conditions that are happening and what's the un kind of like fuzziness of the future that you're kind of driving forward against. And, and to me, that creates a level of, of humility um, because I just personally don't take the view that I think that I know it all. In fact, uh, you know, I, I, there's some famous old phrase about that, but the older that you get, kind of like the more you realize how dumb you are and how little you know. And and it's because your eyes are opening a little bit more. Um, and, 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 and when we go even in retrospect, it's like, you know, I think a lot of times in life, we may discount how much luck does play into things and how much timing does play into things. Um, but I also do believe that those that are the most prepared and those that take the most actions can put themselves into places where hopefully, you know, luck will favor them well. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of it is, is in some ways go out and, and, and just, you know, get involved, start building things. And, you know, you may come across something that wasn't your original goal, but that might open up and that might become, you know, your new successful path forward. And I think we see a lot with even multiple time founders. A lot of people, you know, maybe it could be jealousy a little bit. will say, oh, that person got lucky. They were at the perfect place, at the perfect time. But yet I've seen many founders who are multiple time founders, meaning they have to have been doing something correctly. And typically it is that they're better prepared they understand the market and that there is a level of for, for entrepreneurs, such a weird balance. You have to be confident, cocky enough to believe you can change the world, but humble enough to realize that you might have to pivot along the way. It's just like razor edge of knowing where, when you should be confident versus when you have to realize, Hey, I might not know this. Let me re reassess. And that is, I feel like an, always a battle. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, I've seen it many times where, you know, you, people have, you have to reflect and it's such a challenging thing because there's no right answer. You can't be, too reserved because like you said you have to push something forward and when people will be saying this is crazy you can't do that this is the same way for 50 years why do you think you're different but then at the same time realize and listen to your customers that mm -hmm. hey I, I can't build the world completely i need some others to kind of buy into that that vision i have there's you know the great phrase i think it's called like have strong views but weakly held and which mm -hmm. is like, hey, you know, you have a particular take on a space, you've thought about it and whatnot, but that you have the flexibility of mind that in the face of new facts, in the face of, of you know, data-driven um, opposition of your views, that you can change course. And it's just one that's always kind of stuck in my mind. And kind of switching gears a little bit, with, especially, you know, we're talking about founders and kind of growth. You primarily focus obviously with Antler, kind of being that founder, kind of growing and kind of starting that business to grow and scale. What is the difference between, I think that's something that's maybe not talked a lot about, or there's a little bit of a change. Kind of what's the difference from that, you know, day zero, starting an idea, kind of scaling it versus maybe that few years in once you have the funding. Is there a shift in mindset that has to occur? Because I feel typically that's a shift that maybe, you know, some people may be great at starting a business, but then scaling maybe a different skill set. Is there something that carry over? And are there distinct skill sets that maybe each stage requires at that current time? Yeah, I mean, I think if you anyone who studied, you know, business school or whatnot, has probably heard that, you know, what's required for success in the life of a business kind of changes along the way. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few people of, that have like, grown enormous companies from zero, of course, the pages that we just mentioned, and I'm sure there's many others that we could talk about, but largely the challenges of a business over the lifetime of it uh, will have different challenges, which require a certain level of skill sets, uh, which may you know shift from leadership all the way to the top. So, you know, bringing it back, you know, at, 
when you were when we talk about day zero founders, it is people I think that have the mindset, the passion, the ambition, um, mm -hmm. and are at that beginning stages where it is super exhilarating, but it is frankly very unstructured and probably very uncertain. And it's how do you start at that point where you have a super high degree of uncertainty, where they can then move along the pathway to find you know a partner or partners in crime that complement you well. Um, to then, you know, go down and do problem discovery and figure out like, what is it that we're trying to solve for in this world? Who are the users that we're trying to service, be of service and or the tool that we want to build? That kind of leads into the ideation. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to have created this, okay, now it's good. You have this hypothesis that's in your mind. Like now, how do you go out and actually validate some of these things that you're, you're think are you hold true? Mm -hmm. And that's then driving them towards kind of the, val the validation side of things and going out and actually speaking to users and you know, testing with them to get real response. I think that that's where a lot of enlightenment comes out and really moves people from this kind of like, hey, doing and playing all these mental games inside your head to actually getting out into the real world and really, you know, getting perspective on how other people hear, really hear your idea and or feel about it and or frankly, do they care or not? Um, like they might say it's nice, but the thing you haven't heard is that, you know, you're number 15 are really the priorities that they have. So you're probably not going to get much mental mind share, uh, mind share, you know, from them in, in their lives. And so I think that's a lot, you know, that goes on in the early stages. That's so funny. You touch on the fact that, uh, well, especially when you have an idea and I've been through it as well. When you ask me, they're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Sounds nice. But you always don't ask the question, but you always should, would you pay for this? Right. Or, you know, it sounds great. Can I have a pre-order? And then the conversation changes all of a sudden. I think it's one of those things. And I think from what I've seen with a lot of the maybe more successful founders, it's the idea of not just trying to get the yes, but trying to actually get an question, answer to the question you have. I think that's always challenging is to you. It's always, it's always exciting. It's always the best idea ever to someone else. Maybe a great idea, but a lot of times good enough is good enough for a lot of people. If I have to change the way I do something to save 5% of it, well, why do I care? And I think right. that's always challenging when, uh, especially having a new business is that you see the problem, you see how much time you can save as an aggregate, but sometimes you may forget that the day-to-day -day lives of someone, they have so many other things to focus on, you know, optimizing their calendar on, you know, as an individual, you know, doesn't matter that much. I think that's always a challenge you have to realize and kind of, all founders run into once you try to really figure out it's a big problem, but it's someone to pay for this problem or how are you going to monetize? It's always the classic uh, roadblock. Once you get past that honeymoon phase a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, we do see that, that sometimes we'll have people and, you know, we call it confirmation bias, right? Or they kind of like have a thought of like, okay, here's what I'm trying to find out. I just want to hear that. Yes. Like that confirm. Yeah. Or I'm just going to research and find the facts that just confirm what I really mm -hmm. think versus these, you know, that are, have that intellectual honesty about themselves to kind of like zoom out and be like, okay, what's actually happening in the big, big picture. And yes, you might have a certain percentage that will confirm what you're thinking about, but don't discount <laughs> the yeah. people in that large portion of the equation that are not, um, because there's probably, you know, real insight that can be gleaned from that. And the classic is the free beer question. Every time a founder says, Hey, I asked, everyone says they're interested in making more money or getting a better job. This is the best product market fit. And it's because the question you're asking is, 
hey, sir, you know, would you be interested in making more money in your career? You never want to someone says, you know what, I actually want to make less. It's right. the same thing when it's the questions you're asking play such a big role. And I, I found even when I'm mentoring other founders or startups, it's that same question of like, what the question you're asking, can there even be a no sometimes? Or what what is the real purpose you're asking for? And that free beer question can hide its face, you know, hide itself in many different ways when you're trying to get, like you said, confirmation bias. It's great to hear the yeses. You get so excited, but sometimes you just have to step back and realize, what am I actually trying to solve here? I, I know people want to save money or make money or become more efficient, but what is that problem we're trying to really get to the root cause here? One interesting also, we kind of touched on a little bit, is that co-founders, trying to meet a co-founder, kind of grow that. Co-found, you know, Finding a co-founder is always an interesting challenge or i mean you've probably seen many teams that maybe have had some success and had the breakups I've, I've funny enough i was on a call with a founder where we had to like therapy session kind of walk him through breaking up with his co-founder because it was a toxic relationship they weren't pulling their weight they were traveling it was it reminded me a lot of telling you know, a friend that you know that person is not good for you and having to like make them realize it and it's very much like a relationship what do you feel Maybe, and this is maybe more of an opinion, but when meeting, find, trying to find a co-founder, is there things you typically want to see or that makes a great fit versus maybe a great friend? A lot of people want to co-found a business with their friend, but a lot of times that may not be the best case as a business partner. Are there things you tend to see that make it more successful? Maybe, or where, or other on the other side of things, are there some red flags that cause some uncertainty in the relationship? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things that we often see with, you know, people, um, when they're thinking about co-founders is, um, hey, you know, kind of this nice mapping of skills. Hey, I'm the technical person, you're the business person, therefore we're gonna make a good co-founding team. Cause we complement your skills, right? And, you know, we kind of like have seen and observed over, you know, literally the thousands of, of people that have come through Antler programs around the world, where um, we think that at the beginning, it's more about a conversation on some of the more intangibles, you know, coming down to values. Um, and so can you get honest with each other? First of all, can you do you understand yourself? So we actually like people to go through that time to actually reflect on who they are. You know, why are they embarking on this journey? What is their motivation and what are their you know, potential outcomes for this sort of thing? You know, frankly, it's like, am I in it because... I want to make a million dollars or am I in this because I need to solve this problem? I am obsessed about this problem um, or am I doing it because I want, you know, the, the fun and the excitement and the journey of actually trying to build something from nothing. So it's just as a few examples. Mm -hmm. So that's one, understand yourself and then, you know, understand the, the person that you may be engaging with and trying to find, you know, an alignment of values there. Um, I think that there's an importance there because even if it's not evident at the beginning, if you haven't, had that conversation and gotten to know one another at that level, then at some point, you know, one year, two years down the road, three years, you may have that real, again, existential moment where you kind of are gobsmacked by how the other person's responding to it because <laughs> you just didn't know. Yeah. So, so we are believers in having that conversation up front and trying to um, discern that as, as quickly as possible. Now, the question is, how do you do that? Like, how does actually one get there? Well, you can converse and have conversations like this, um, but we are big believers in experimentation. And so, you know, why not grab a person and say, hey, look, let's try to do something together. Let's do a mini sprint. If it's 
over a day or over two days. And let's just put a, a, an interesting challenge ahead of ourselves. And we will see along the way, like, does it, do we like the way that we think or do we like a regenerative in our conversations or is it just like a toxic battle? Um, I think that, you know, you'll learn certainly about yourself and you'll also learn about the dynamic with the other person or persons um, ultimately. And then, you know, for what we look for on the other side as Antler, um, you know, it is magical when founders have hit that level of chemistry where you can tell that one plus one actually equals three in the case of this, mm -hmm. uh, or one plus one plus one equals five or six, you know, whatever the case may be, um, you know, that is, it's really incredible when you kind of see that. And then the second is an alignment on vision is that, you know, you have a, a few people that see the future in a very similar way and think that this is the way the world is going. This is the product that needs to be serviced. This is how the users are going to be acting in the future. And we've kind of painted that picture. And now our job is to go out and prove that out. Um, you know, those are really exciting times when we see that happen. I think the classic, like you said, the idea of, hey, I'm, a I'm the business person, you're a technical person, you do technical, I do business, always sounds great on paper because it is, like you said, the skills. But it's very hard because if someone is completely technical and someone's completely business, although no one can in every business, that technical person also has to do business stuff and the business person also do technical things. I think that's sometimes a shell shock to people. But I think one challenge you touched on is that if you're completely different worlds, you may be, you may have completely different outlooks on life, completely different ways of answering the same question. And that's what caused a lot of issues I found where, you know, maybe the business person's like, this is the market, this is where we grow. A technical person has no interest in making money in the sense of like trying to scale this. Actually, they want to solve the real problem and kind of really and i think that one is one challenge people don't realize is that at the end of the day you're going to be like a partner in life you're going to be working with them for probably many years you have to get along and have similar vision and kind of output or expectation because if you can't agree like you said on day one or within the first week a year down the line when there are some multi-million dollar decisions you don't want to be fighting then and kind of have that dirty breakup. I think it's very challenging because like you saw on paper, it's great to have the one technical person, that one business person, and maybe, you know, you'll have that one marketing person and a legal, and then you're all different. But if you're all so different, then you have no chemistry and then you're just employees of a business at that point. And I think that is a hard challenge to, until you experience the kind of the pain that comes from it. So, you know, you know, as we're wrapping up now, one of the big things that you were kind of talking about before is really how Antler can benefit and kind of grow with businesses. And I guess now we're kind of coming to the end. What What is a, what are you, I know we talked a little bit about this, but, you know, someone maybe listening to this podcast or looking at Antler kind of ways to start a business, kind of what is, I guess, the pitch or at least the conversation around what are you looking for in a person coming to Antler, working with Antler that, so someone could maybe listen to this could know like, hey, this is the perfect stage I'm looking for. This is where I am. And this is the perfect fit for me right now. What would that be? Yeah, it's 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 great. You know, Antler is well suited for um, people that are truly committed and have that passion for going out and trying to build something that they think is going to have the chance to impact the world, right? To create a, a very ambitious nature type of business that is usually going to be technically driven. Um, the bar, you know, to get into Antler is quite high. So in our last cohort that we ran, we had 2,400 people that had applied and we chose, wow. we chose 50. 
50 to come in and spend time with us. So we're talking about like the two and a, top two and a half percent of, of applicants that actually were you know brought into our space and worked with us over a 10 week period. Um, and so, you know, it, there is some sense of, we, we talked about it earlier, what we look for, some of these intangible features um, in people, but, you know, again, you know, bias towards people that have had that ability to execute in their lives, that have that constant thirst for learning and growth mindset. Um, that can be a beacon for talent. We didn't talk about that, but we believe mm. that that is something that is important um, for people on the team to be able to have, because you're always attracting other teammates. You're always trying to attract customers, suppliers, that sort of thing. And to think, you know, ambitiously big. Um, but, and we say that self-servedly because at the end of the day, we are a venture firm. And so those are the sorts of opportunities that, you know, we are looking for. Yeah, and I, and the previous session that a beacon of talent is so important. Most of the successful founders I had that have that, that I hate to use it, but that it fact where people gravitate toward them. They have that inspiration because you're, like you said, if you're starting a business, you're probably gonna have to hire people and you're probably not gonna be able to pay them. Maybe their market value because you're a small company, but you want the best talent. And it's those people who can sell the vision and get people bought in can make such a big difference. I've seen on the ability to scale and retain that talent when it's more than just a paycheck. It's about that mission, but it's genuine. And I think that's the key. And if people want to learn more about you, kind of learn more about Antler, what's the best place to apply, get in touch? Is it just antler.com? Yeah, it's actually antler.co. So .co without the M. Um, and there's a Canada page there. Um, so for those people, there's a lot of information about Antler um, dot Antler in Canada, uh, but also globally about what the work that we're doing around the world and all the various regions. Um, you can also, you know, find me on Twitter. I'm not the most active Twitter user, but you know, I do have a presence on there as well. Perfect. And you know, thanks so much for connecting, Brian. Excited to see kind of some of the next few businesses coming out. Sounds good. Hey, really appreciated this time.